Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Everyone, welcome to Edition with Digest. I'm Stephanie Sloan, editorial director, here with Mara Levinsky, executive editor. Hi, everyone. Well, Mara, as we mentioned last week, Sal Stowers is back as Daisy's Lonnie, and we have an interview with her in our new issue. So she said it was an easy yes for her to return, especially after she found out the story would be with Jim Reynolds, who plays Abe, her on-screen dad. Sal said after playing the role for almost eight years, it felt like a big chunk of her life was gone when she stopped. So it was really great for her to be back in the hallways and see everyone again. Uh, You know, she was also thrilled to reconnect with Jack A. Harry, who plays her on-screen mom, Paulina, and especially Lamone Archie, who plays Lonnie's hubby, Eli, because they have such a deep friendship in real life, and she said it was great to have that quality time together again. Sal tells us she's still working with World Vision, the humanitarian organization that helps families and their communities overcome poverty and injustice, and was just certified as a nutrition coach, so she is keeping busy. Nevertheless, she says she would never say never to a Salem return. Well, I'm so thrilled that she's back. I almost didn't realize how much I missed Lonnie and the Elani relationship until I knew that I would be getting another dose of them. And they are definitely both sites for my sore eyes. Another comeback fans have to look forward to is kicking off this coming week on GH, which is when viewers will get their first glimpse of Walt Willie reprising his All My Children role of Jackson Montgomery. Lucy and Felicia, who are uh, investigating the mysterious payments that Martin is receiving that originate from Pine Valley head there and intersect with Jack. I spoke to uh, Lynn Herring, who plays Lucy, about getting to work with him. And she said that she really didn't know him before this, that they'd met sort of in passing at Super Soap Weekend and things like that back in the day. But she didn't really know what to expect of him as a scene partner and that she was very pleasantly surprised by what a twinkle he had in his eye and how sparkly his presence was. As I've uh, talked about on the podcast before, I covered All My Children for many years for the magazine and got to know Walt very well. I have so many fond memories of hanging out with him in his dressing room and just having great conversations with him in general. And I was so excited to reconnect with him when I interviewed him about this GH gig. He said he has never been on a nicer or more welcoming set. He uh, lives back in his hometown in Illinois these days. And when he came out to California to shoot GH, he stayed with none other than Michael E. Knight, who played AMC's Tad and now plays the, uh, you know, mysteriously getting paid Martin on GH. (laughs) He rates Michael as a 10 out of 10 host. I think it's really fun how GH has occasionally incorporated these cameos by characters from the defunct shows in the ABC lineup. Uh, Of course, for a while, 
One Life to Live's Todd and McBain and Star came to Port Charles, but we've also seen Delia from Ryan's Hope and Nora from One Life to Live. Uh, but this is the first AMC crossover. And given the Pine Valley connection that the show is playing with, it stands to reason that it might not be the last. Oh, well, here is hoping. You know, I love a crossover, especially the fact that it involves just even talking about Pine Valley is mm -hmm. so amazing. And, you know, something else that's fun that you and I talked about yesterday was that um, this week we saw on Days of Our Lives, the show within a show, Body and Soul, finally like displayed its credits and they had so many fun inside, like winks to the audience in there. So Mary Beth Evans's character um, is being played by an actress named Catherine Bell, which is, of course, the character that Mary Beth played on General Hospital. You have Lauren Coslow's character being played by the actress Margot Lindley, which is, of course, uh, Lauren's character on Bold and Beautiful. And then Deidre Hall's character is the same name that she had on Our House. And then Stephen Nichols, who I'm assuming it's Stephen Nichols, but um, they have one character named Tucker McCall, which is who Stephen played um, on Young and the Restless. So I just feel like they just really went the distance to make it like a fun wink to the audience. And like, I so appreciate that. Oh, a hundred percent. I I was giggling. And can I just go on the record and say that Thrust is now a character that I actually need to be on, not a soap within a soap, but a soap. <laughs> you never know. We could, be, we could be talking about thrust anytime soon. And there's also some big stories coming up um, on General Hospital. There will be fireworks aplenty next week when someone is shot. We have a preview of the story with the soap's executive producer, Frank Valentini, but you will have to tune in to see who is felled by a bullet. In other juicy twists, Bold and Beautiful's Thomas and Hope will make love, which is like just a wow in my book. And I mean, their kiss in Rome was shocking enough, as was Liam and Steffi's, mind you, but that they wind up in bed so quickly was not something I had on my bingo card. Um, on Young and the Restless, the jig will finally be up for Phyllis, who surrenders. And over on Days, Sean is going to be suspended from the force after Melinda catches him drinking on the job. Now, I think Brandon Beamer is doing such an excellent job playing Sean's devastation over shooting Bo. I mean, it might be the most emotional material he's had to play in years. I mean, if ever, on Days. And, you know, I really wish we would see more. I mean, I'm so intrigued by a Sean Bell story where, like, he isn't the hero. Mm. So I hope there is more of that to come. I absolutely agree. You know, it's it's obviously not a happy story, but I'm so glad to see Brandon getting this kind of showcase. You know, Sean is is such an important character within the history of the show with not only Bo and Hope as his parents, but given their familial roots, you know, Sean is tied to the Hortons, to the Bradys, and to the Kyriakuses. And I feel like in recent years, you know, we have seen his leading lady, Martha Madison, who plays Belle, get her turn in the storyline sun, which was certainly deserved. But I don't feel like the wealth was spread quite as much to Sean. And Brandon is certainly proving that he is able to deliver. Well, here, here. Um, now, one family that you didn't mention but has gotten a lot of play of late is the Demeras, and our guest today is one of them. It's Miranda Wilson, who reprised the role of Megan to great fanfare and did an amazing job to boot. So let's check in with her across the pond and get her take on her Salem return. Hi, Miranda. Hi. How are you, Stephanie? Good. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing great. Absolutely fantastic. Well, we are thrilled to be talking to you today. Um, this is coming at the very uh, end of this last visit, which was quite exciting. Uh -huh. um, but we're going to talk about 
everything and more, but we're going to start with that you were born in Omaha, Nebraska, but your family ultimately settled in the San Francisco Bay Area, and you were very active in your high school's theater program. So what do you remember about discovering your love of performing? Wow. Okay. So to start with, it did originate earlier than when I got to California. So when when I was growing up, my parents used to have dinner parties, just like anybody would. And I would always come out and do something for the party. I would sing or I would dance or I would, you know, do some sort of performing in front of my parents' guests. And so I was well known in my family already as the one who was always in front of the crowd, always liked to be the center of attention, always liked to perform. So when I got to California and when when I found out we were moving to California, because that was the key, I was thrilled to bits because I thought, oh, great, this is perfect because that's where all the acting stuff happens. So I was really pleased to be moving to California. We got there and in elementary school, I did my first play, so to speak, that I could really call a performance. So we did something called Shoe Fly Pudding, and um, it was on stage at the local high school. We got to go rehearse there, and um, someone from the class above me did the directing, and the lead character was actually for a male, but none of the guys at school in sixth grade wanted to do a stupid acting, you know, play. I don't want to do that. So I'm like, I'll do it. So I got cast in the lead role <laughs> and absolutely loved it. Honestly, I don't remember much about it, but it had something to do with shoe fly pudding, thus the title. But the person, <laughs> the person who directed me went on to be, she was in my brother's year, the year ahead of me. And she went on to, um, you know, call you, we all went to high school together and et cetera, et cetera. And I saw her occasionally, you know, about 10 years ago when Facebook became a thing, I got these messages from her. Hi, it's me, Jan Rodak. I'm the one who directed in your first play ever. And then you became famous. So like you owe your career to me. Laugh, laugh, laugh. <laughs> Great, fantastic, lovely human being. And we still keep in touch on Facebook. So that was actually my early days. And then I went on to high school where I did every single play that happened at my high school while I was there. So normally the pattern was they would do a musical comedy in the autumn, and then they would do a comedy or a drama in the spring. So I did that. But one of those years, I think it was my sophomore year. I can't remember exactly, but I think my sophomore year, we also did a third play because there was a grad student who wanted to come and do Moliere. And, um, and I thought, that's fun. Okay. So I got the ingenue role in Moliere's, um, oh, I can't remember, Tartuffe. And yeah, did that. Then after high school, you got your degree in theater with a focus on acting at the University of California at Santa Barbara. But of course, that's quite different from actually pursuing uh, like a working life as an actor. So tell us about making the move to Los Angeles and how you went about more formally breaking into the business. Right. So, and again, tiny little story here. Everybody's ready to leave the university with their degrees, right? We've all been through this theater arts program as acting in, you know, theater and it's all very prestigious. And the next thing you know, I'm saying I'm going to LA. And everybody's like, why? Why are you going to LA? Like, because I want to act. Yeah, but you should be going to New York because that's where you're going to have the career and that's where we're all going. And, you know, theater's where it's at. And I just went, 
yeah, well, actually, I want to be in front of the masses. And I think I have to go to L.A. So I was like the bad girl of the theater program. (laughs) There I go. I go off to L.A. And I had this plan. My plan was I would work two jobs, one in the daytime, one in the evening, and then save up enough money to drop the evening job, get into a play, and get discovered, of course, because that's what happens, right? So I did that. I did a restaurant job in the day. I did a cocktail waitressing job at night. I think I did that for two or maybe three, two, two and a half months. And then it's like, okay, time to drop the nighttime job and audition for a play because I'd seen that the crucible is being done at the Morgan Wixon theater. And it's like, I can do that. I've done that part before. We did that at my high school. I played the lead. It was amazing. I played Abigail. I was great. So (laughs) I drop my job. I go off to the audition. I arrive. They're not doing crucible. They've changed their mind. They're doing Terra Nova. I'm like, Terra Nova, what's that? I've never heard of that. Oh, it's this great British play about the expedition of Captain Scott to the Antarctic. And I went, oh, no, there's no female roles other than one. And she's like in her 30s. Oh, I was so disappointed. I was about to turn away. And the gal goes, wait, wait, don't. Just audition. Like, yeah, but I'm like 22. <laughs> no, it's okay. It doesn't matter. It's it's stage. You can do it. I'm like, we're in L.A., you guys have thousands of people to shoot. No, 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 just audition. And of course, I got the role. <laughs> Loved it. Got to do my English accent, which I enjoyed. And um, lo and behold, one of the cast members had a sister who attended many of the performances. And she was just a friend of the whole cast and hung out with us. And we all loved her. And she was a masseuse. And one day I got the phone call after the play had closed. We had wrapped. And I'm like, oh, shoot, no one discovered me. Bang, that was my plan. I don't know what to do now. Man, I'm just, I got one job and, oh, bummer. Phone rings. Hi, this is so-and-so. I'm calling because one of my clients is the head writer for Days of Our Lives. And she was in today and she was so tense. And I said, what's going on? And she said, they're trying to cast this character. And they've written her in two or three times and then had big casting sessions and nobody got the job. And they don't know what to do. They've got to get this character cast. And I told her, you'd be perfect. So she wants to talk to you. I'm like, whoa, that is it. That's exactly what I knew was going to happen. I'm set. <laughs> Everybody I knew was like, uh, hang on, Miranda. Um, no, it's just <laughs> It's You haven't been cast yet. Don't get your hopes up. Don't let this. And I'm like, no, this is it. I, I promise, guys, this is it. You know, I mean, this is what was supposed to happen and it's happening. <laughs> <laughs> so I was totally sold on it. Went, talked to her, hit it off great. You know, want you to come in for a screen test. Great. Went in for the screen test. Met Shelly Curtis, who is a dream human being. And she and I hit it off and she loved my audition. And she goes, let's just do one more take. I'm like, okay. We did one more take. And this time she had pulled Peter Reckle, Bo, aside and whispered in his ear. I'm like, hmm, he's going to change what he's doing. Okay, got to pay attention. So we go through the scene, we do it. And it's it's that part where Megan tells Bo she had a baby and I had your baby, Bo. And so we did it and I had your baby, Bo. And, you know, Virgil tears and he comes up to me and said, so I, I don't know if he even said anything. He just came up to me and he grabbed me and he planted the most tender, beautiful kiss on my lips. And I just went, oh, melt. <laughs> 
I absolutely totally just melted. And it was so beautiful. And Shelly comes down. She's like, that was amazing. (laughs) Great. So I left going, I got a job. I got a job. And I didn't hear from them for like two days. (laughs) And then Ken Corday rang and said, hey, how'd you like to play Megan? Like, I'd love to. Wow. Yeah. So what do you remember then about showing up for work? And what was your first day like? Interestingly, I went in um, before my first taping day, I went in to meet hair and makeup and wardrobe and, you know, get introduced around and get measurements and all that stuff. And one of the first things that happened was the hair person told me that she wanted me to go see this person in Beverly Hills to have my hair done, to get a weave in my hair. I'm like, what's a weave? I had no clue. So I go to this person in Beverly Hills you know, and the show's going to pay for it. I go to this person in Beverly Hills. I walk in. I'm like, you know, Carol Brown sent me. I'm supposed to get a weave. Oh, yeah, I've talked to her. That's fine. Sit down. They did it. I went back in to Carol Brown. I said, here it is. She goes, oh, it's not blonde enough. I'm like, oh, okay. So I had to go back, <laughs> get more blonde in my hair because she, Shelly had this idea of um, pitting the dark, the brunette against the blonde. It was it was something going on in the 80s. There were two actresses who were really, really popular, and I can't remember now who they are, but they were kind of like, they weren't a team that worked together, but they were kind of adversaries, but in a beautiful sort of way. And so she wanted Kristen and I to be that. And so I had to be blonder. Um, but my first taping day, I was scared to bits. <laughs> I was so nervous. And I had this dog, this amazing dog, but I was nervous. I can understand. I mean, this is your first audition ever for a television show. So hence, it's your first day ever working on a television show. It's, it's hard to imagine what must have been running through your body. Oh, my goodness. I was so, I, I was like, okay, I can't blow this, you know. And to me, I can do stage till the cows come home because that's had been my experience. I knew I could do that. That was cool. But when I watched the first couple of episodes back, it was like I was shouting across the auditorium. <laughs> the back of that hundred seat auditorium. I'm like, oh gosh, I wish they would have just played that back for me. <laughs> Maybe tweak it just a little. <laughs> That's so funny. Well, so as we've established, Megan was introduced as Bo's ex-girlfriend and your job really was to stir up trouble for Bowman Hope, who were like the show's it couple at the time. Yep. Did you know anything about their popularity coming onto the show and understand, you know, the position that, that you were going to be taking over? Not really. Um, when I was in university, I lived in a sorority and Many times I would come home from my class in the middle of the day to change clothes because I maybe I'd been in a dance class or a movement class or even a set building class. And I'd come home, I'd change clothes and then go back to other classes. And often I would come in and walk through the back room, back, you know, television room and half the sorority would be gathered around the television watching TV. And I never understood why. I'm like, don't you guys have classes? I mean, like what? But I didn't have time to think. One day I came in and I'm like, what are you guys watching? And they're like, days of our lives. It's amazing. you got to watch this. I'm like, oh, okay. And then there's Bo Brady. Isn't he gorgeous? Oh my God. I love him. Yeah. I'm, you know, and the whole sorority is like swooning over Bo Brady and I'm watching him going, yeah, I get it. Great. 
super cool. And I don't remember what he was doing, but he was doing something on his motorcycle and he was being super hot and cool. And I'm like, okay, I get it. My, you know, I get why you guys are hanging out. I leave. I go do my thing. Of course, the first thing that happens to me when I get to LA is I audition for Days of Our Lives and I'm working with Bo Brady. And I just thought, you know, life really is all laid out in front of you. <laughs> but that was all I knew. I didn't know about hope. I didn't know about the popularity, except I knew that all those girls in the sorority loved him. So I was in a good situation. Well, tell us about working with Mr. Peter Reckle. Gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. I mean, the beautiful thing is Megan wasn't evil in the beginning, right? So all we knew is we were high school lovers. And then I had this baby, but our my mom had kept us apart. So neither one. Da, 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 da. And so there was a real tenderness and a real beauty. There was the wound that we both carried into our characters because obviously I thought you, you know, dropped me. You thought I dropped you. Lots of hurt feelings. Makes sense. But basically there was a real tenderness. And because that's who Peter is, it was very much to the fore. It was very easy to kind of fall into that rhythm and have that wonderful connection. Um, and then Megan turned evil and hope won. <laughs> and, oh, it was just so, it was hard. It was hard. It was hard for me at that age, um, 23, soon to be 24. I took it hard because I took it personally, you know, and there was no real change. We still worked together beautifully. We still had great material. We still enjoyed working together. But it just felt to me like I took on too much of Megan that, um, yeah. And you, I, were, you were invested in the outcome for your character. I was. I was. And that is such a big no-no. Now, Megan was, of course, revealed to be the daughter of the notorious Stefano Demera, played by the late, great Joseph Mascolo. So tell us about your relationship with Joe. Joe was such, such a father figure and such a warm, caring supportive individual just so i i don't think there's a single person he ever worked with who wouldn't say exactly the same thing and again i was new to television and it was my first job and i was a little bit sensitive to what was going on in my storyline so he really really wrapped me in his warmth and supported me hugely and literally every day we worked together it was like he was checking in on how i was doing not just how I was acting, but how I was doing. And that meant the world to me. Whatever the politics was upstairs or whatever the politics was on set, or, he's like, none of it matters. Only thing that matters is you go home at the end of the day and you know you did your best job bringing Megan to life. That's it. And he said, one thing that's super solid is that you're my daughter. I'm your father. No one will ever be able to tell anything else. So yeah, he was he was the best. And we had so much fun. We had so much fun. Like we were constantly laughing. He was constantly laughing about the storyline and what our characters were doing and just how fun it was to be evil. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that that to me was the biggest impression. I love that. Well, Miranda, Megan did not win Bo, but Miranda won a Soap Opera Digest Award for trying. Uh, so, uh, you won the coveted Outstanding Villainous Award. Uh, do you have memories of the ceremony itself? Oh, do I ever. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, 
I wore a dress that I had, I'd gone downtown to the fashion district in downtown LA and I'd shop for a dress and I found one I loved, but it needed some tweaking. And, and so my um, flatmate at the time was a wardrobe seamstress. And so she altered it for me and put this lovely net and all these sparkles and it was all very juji. And I loved it. I loved that dress. And I just felt like a million bucks. Time comes, announcements made. I won the award. I could not believe it. I mean, I couldn't believe it. It's like, you're kidding. I've been dead for two months or three months. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I stood up and I just still to this day remember my speech. And I was, I felt tongue tied and I don't know what to say. But in the end, I think it just came out perfectly because, you know, it was just, I was over the moon and it was so, so clear that I was completely um, thrilled and grateful to the audience for having loved to hate me. And I think that's really what the bottom line was, is I realized that all the hate mail that I had received from Megan wasn't really hating what I was doing or hating my acting or hating me. It was like hating the character, which was one of the biggest compliments we've had. So yeah, that that award made my day. Year, I don't know, decade. <laughs> Did you ever hear from your sorority sisters of like, I can't believe you're on Days of Our Lives? Oh, totally, absolutely. I mean, initially we didn't we didn't have any email back then, did we? Right. We didn't no. have phones back then. We didn't have any of that stuff. So. Um, it came down through the pipeline, trickle, trickle, trickle. Ah, hi, I spoke to so-and-so and she says this and that, or I went back to visit my university and, um, asked, went to the theater department. They went, oh my God, it's you. Can you come in talk to the classes? Let them know that one of our students made it. I'm like, sure. So yeah, I did still to this day. They, they can't believe it, but thrilled to bits, you know, that is cool. yeah. That's well, Sadly, your original day's run came to an end in 1985 with Megan's apparent death by hot tub. Um, (laughs) Now, what do you remember about leaving the show? And was it hard for you when days made the decision to end your storyline? Yes, it was hard. Again, just harking back to the fact that I was this youngster who took things a little bit too much to heart. And I was really upset when I heard that my character was going to be killed off. And I didn't understand. And I figured I must have done something wrong. And, you know, and I was, I was, yeah, I was really, un, really, really upset about it. So never mind. Life goes on. You do the best you can to pick up and carry on. And um, my flatmate at the time, who was the wardrobe seamstress, very, very generously <clears throat> surprised me on the day that I shot my final episode. So even though it didn't air in the same order, my final episode, which was the hot tub, you know, Larry killing me, sleeping in the hot tub. Um, that was the last day of taping for me. And I walked outside to go home and there was a stretch limo. And my my flatmate jumped out and said, hey, darling, we're going to the Beverly Hills Hotel for a death day party. I'm like, ah, <laughs> Fantastic. So we went over there to the Beverly Hills Hotel um, and drank champagne and bought champagne for the room and just had an amazing time um, celebrating my death, which everybody thought was hilarious. That is awesome. I I like this old flatmate of yours. 
Um, so you were not out of the soap world for very long. And it was in 1986 that Capital snapped you up to play Kate Wells. And among others, you worked alongside the late Richard Egan and the late Marge Doucet, who played uh, Sam and Myrna. So how did the Capital gig come about? That was just, you know, an audition. I, I believe what happened, if I remember correctly, is that the casting director got in touch with my agent and just asked if I was available because they had a character who would suit my <clears throat> particular skills. Um, they wanted to know if I'd like to audition for it. And I said, absolutely, sure. Why not? You know, so I also had the pleasure of working under the late John Conboy, who was amazing, amazing as a producer, amazing just as a creative mind and just as a lovely, lovely being. Um, so that character started off mean, you know, there was no sort of like easing it in gently. Day mm -hmm. one was awful. <laughs> but understandably, having to do with sister killing parents accidentally in a car crash because she was drunk, fair point. Um, but then she just became manipulative and wonderfully, wonderfully, um, yeah, twisted. I loved it. I loved playing that character. I loved working with Richard Egan. He was incredible. Um, now, while working on Capital, you became close friends with Jess Walton, who played Kelly and for many decades has now played Jill on Young and the Restless. So tell us about your friendship with Jess. Uh, Jess is a sweetheart. Jess and I were great friends at the time, uh, along with Christine Kellogg. The three of us did a lot of hanging out together off set. Um, and yeah, I left town, but I stayed in touch with both of them. And when I came back, you know, in in the sort of, as soon as my kids got to be an age where I thought it might be okay to come back to work, every time I was in LA, I would stop in and she'd be, okay, I want to get you into the casting director. I want to get you into the casting director. I've given her your headshot, but I was still living in England. So it was kind of not feasible, um, but absolutely so, so loving and supportive. Um, I stayed with her, in fact, for uh, just over a week, I guess, when I first came back to the U.S. to see if I could get back into the acting world in L.A. And this was back in 2017. Um, and, and that was gorgeous because there was not, not a beat was missed. It was as if, you know, we were still back in the good old days, both more mature, both more settled, but still, um, yeah, super warm, yummy. And to this day, yeah, we we message each other every now and then. How's it going? She was recently on YNR at the same time I was doing Days, and we tried to get together, and it just didn't work because I was over in Burbank, she was over in um, in West Hollywood. But yeah, she's a great she's a great human being. So you were working on Capital when it went off the air early in 1987. Boo! Um, but then you and another Capital alum, Deborah Ferentino, were cast in the cult classic film Cellar Dweller which shot in Rome. So how did that come about? Yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> um, yeah, it was really sad when Capital went off the air. We were all gutted. Absolutely, absolutely gutted. But um, just before the end of our run, in the last couple of months, we had a, um, there was an announcement or, yeah, there was an announcement go round that anybody on the soap who wanted to audition for this film, they'd be interested in us because it's filming in Rome. Capital was massive in Rome. Such a huge following. So they were particularly interested in any of us who, who wanted to audition. 
And Deborah and I both auditioned. I don't know if anybody else did, to be honest. We didn't sort of all get together and say, are you auditioning? Are you? But um, so Deborah and I both auditioned. We were both cast and found ourselves in Rome in, in the most delicious situation. This was before, as I say, social media. This was before cell phones. So this was when things were a bit old world still. And I remember the first day that I woke up in Rome, having flown in with my boyfriend, he came along, um, having flown in and I woke up at 4 a.m. And I just thought, well, I'm not going to lie here and pretend I'm asleep because I'm not. And I got up, got dressed, went out and walked around Rome at 4 a.m. Absolutely gorgeous, so pristine and quiet and settled. It was, it, it was, it was that sort of feeling of literally being back in ancient times um, not just the surroundings, but just the feeling of uh, no stress, no anxiety, no, there were no cars out yet. So it was, it was quiet. It was still, it was beautiful. And I think this was late spring, maybe. So it was, the weather was gorgeous. And I just walked the streets and I walked into all of the landmarks that we all hear about, because I hadn't been to Italy before. And eventually the shops started opening. The first things that opened were the corner bars, I guess you can call them, but they were for people to go in and get their espresso. So you'd see the workmen, particularly the laborers, and they went into the bars and you could tell in their coveralls and they're ready to do their building work or their whatever version of laboring work that they're going to do. They walked in, they got their espresso, they had one or they had two, and then they went on with their day. And so I thought, well, that's what they do here. I'm going to do that. I went in. I said, I'd like an espresso, please. <laughs> Never had an espresso. <laughs> it's not that they weren't around. It's just I didn't normally drink coffee, let alone espresso. So I had my espresso and I kind of went, oh, Jay, Yay. <laughs> and then I like walked back to the hotel, woke up my boyfriend, like, come on, the day is starting. We're ready to go. Let's go. Let's get up. <laughs> You're raring to go after that. Absolutely. He thought I'd lost my marbles. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm sleeping. Um, well, Santa Barbara came calling next in 1989, wanting you to play Sandra Mills, a psychic who was intertwined with another big 1980s daytime super couple, Cruz and Eden. So what stands out to you about working with their portrayers, Marcy Walker and A. Martinez? Yeah, I've been really lucky. I keep getting cast as the one who makes trouble for the people that everybody loves. <laughs> um, I came into Santa Barbara when Marcy Walker was going on maternity leave. So her character left to go off to Paris to mourn the death of their baby. And I show up just as A. Cruz is about to follow Marcy Eden to Paris. And I stop him at the airport and I say, I've seen your baby. So he stays behind because A. Martinez didn't need to go on maternity leave. <laughs> they weren't that interlinked. Uh, <laughs> and so Sandra, the character of Sandra, was brought in really to have someone for A to play against, to have Cruz to be um, tantalized by and or interfered with, let's say, in in the eyes of the audience so that there would be this fear and and worry that he was going to go for this other woman. No, no, not while Eden's away. You know what I mean? It's very soapy. Um, so I spent 
the next six weeks, I suppose it was six, eight weeks working with a Cruz. So Sandra and Cruz were looking for the baby and we went through all kinds of different avenues of me having my psychic visions. And then we would investigate that lead. And then I'd have another psychic vision and would investigate that lead. And so this went on and on. And through that process, Sandra falls in love with Cruz. No surprise. You cannot have a superhero without everybody being in love with him. So needless to say, he did not return her affections and she tried to kill herself, which was, I think, the most intense scene I've ever done in my career was the scene when Cruz comes and to the hospital and talks to Sandra about why, why'd you do it? Um, and by then, Eden had come back and then I had started walk, working with Marcy as well. So Marcy was lovely. Uh, Marcy is literally an angel incarnate. I can't, I can't imagine anyone not adoring her. It it was so hard to be mean to her. <laughs> How do you hate that? The voice, just the composure, everything about her was just amazing. And that was a year, I think she won an Emmy that year, didn't she? For her um, portrayal of being raped. And I saw those those scenes that she submitted and I was just blown away. I'm like, oh God, I can't compete. So I didn't try to compete, of course, because my character was a different character. But um, no, I just, I did, I, I looked up to her enormously and really enjoyed working with her and was sorry that there wasn't kind of a way to salvage Sandra so that she and Eden could be buddies, <laughs> go into a whole different storyline. But anyway, it was what it was. There was a change at NBC and whoever came in as head of Daytime didn't like psychics, and so they they cut the character. Who doesn't like a psychic? But I don't. Um, okay, so shortly after Santa Barbara, your life took a very dramatic turn. You got married in 1990 and moved to France to start your family. Um, tell us about you know that chapter of your life, life in France. Mm -hmm. I loved living in France. It, it was like coming home. I I know France. I'm sure I've had past lives in France. <laughs> I'm sure of it. Um, I picked up speaking French quite easily. I'd studied it in uni at university, but I'd never lived it. Um, and once I started living it, I, I would go out every day and just talk to people. I'd go into shops, start talking to them. And at first, people were just like, who are you? <laughs> 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 and then they warmed me, you know, because I would show up again the next day and the next day and the next day. Um, and so I learned French quite well and quite quickly, which I also loved. Um, and I think within about six months, well, less than that, I became pregnant. So then we left Paris and moved down to um, the south of France. Now, while we were in Paris, my husband, my ex-husband's father had a friend who was in the in the uh, film television business in Paris. And so he talked to his friend and his friend introduced me to a couple people. And I ended up doing a television episode on a series in France in French <laughs> and they like rewrote the character so that she happened to be from California and it was really a small piece but it was it was wow different and I remember one of the things I said to them I'm like how come you guys don't use you know boom mics they they're really easy they you don't have to worry about your clothes and we don't do that like this I'm like okay <laughs> why not <laughs> So, you know, it was like I was I was fascinated by the differences 
in the way that the um, they filmed in studio and and what they did use and what they didn't use and how it was done and I just thought all of the French actors were so sexy. So I was on set with all these very, very sexy people, male, female, didn't matter. They were all sexy. Um, so that was great fun. I enjoyed that. Um, we moved down to the south of France then and lived in a small town called Forcaquier. And Forcaquier was one of the classic, you know, the south of France, the towns are built along the hillside. So all along the sides of the hill, all the way up to the top. And at the very top is where the church is or some sort of a cathedral or temple or whatever. Um, and I lived in one of those towns. And it was also the town in that particular, I mean, I'll call it a county because we understand that word, where they where they had the um, courthouse. So it was like the county seat, so to speak. They also had the most amazing weekly market. Now, the French have the best farmer's markets on the planet, bar none. The every kind of food you can imagine was just the top, top, top quality. And this was the place that everybody in the entire region would come to on a Monday. So I happened to live in a townhouse, a four-story townhouse, just down the road from one of the best um, creperie in town that was just on this edge, on the edge of the market. So it was one of the most idyllic situations because people would come into town to go to the market and nine times out of 10, I'd be finished with my shopping and people would be walking down the street to get back to their cars, which they had to go past my house. And I'd be waving to them from my kitchen window. People would come up and have a cup of tea or coffee, whatever. I just had a ball. I loved it there. And the whole time I'm nurturing this baby in my belly and going out and walking barefoot, picking herbs and making my little potions for my eventual home birth. So I was in heaven. I was absolutely in my element. I loved it. Um, and then my, so my oldest son was born at home in Foucaultier and Foucaultier didn't have a maternity ward in the hospital. Therefore, babies weren't normally born in that town. And because I had it at home, my son was the first child to be born in the town of Foucaultier in a span of maybe 50 years or something. So there was this big article in the newspaper and, <laughs> you know, this whole foreign couple and <laughs> it was hilarious. <laughs> But yeah, you know, I was very much in my element. I loved I loved the community that I lived in and everything about living there. Well, you wound up relocating to England with your two children and you were one of the founders of a holistic primary school. So tell us how you got involved with that. The more I, the more my kids grew, the older they got, the more I thought about the fact that, you know, when I was growing up, I had three siblings. One was a year older, one was a year younger. The other, uh, my youngest brother was seven years younger than me. So, but the three of us were basically the same age and we had the same upbringing. And at school, I did really well and they didn't do as well with the studying part, with the grades, with all of that. They did great on the social front or on the athletic front or whatever. They had their, their, their talents, but grades wasn't one of them. And it always bothered me because in my family, we had a system where if you had straight B's or higher on your report card, you got a special day out with dad. And I'm the only one who ever got that. And it kind of started feeling really creepy and I didn't like it. So 
I always wondered why, like, what is it, you know, nature, nurture, what is it that makes, and so I studied a bit of child psychology when I was at university, and um, I, I started looking into education and educational diff- programs and the differences they had, systems of education, and it fascinated me, not just because of my siblings, but because I know a lot of people who didn't succeed at school, but also then went a little south after school and didn't really have the kind of life that I had. Um, Not saying my life's perfect or better than anyone else's, but in a lot of instances, I would look at them and I would go, dang, um, I wonder why. So this idea of education being important became a thing for me. And I had two children who were not what I would call mainstream. And so I wanted to provide an environment of education that was going to facilitate them getting what they needed. So my view was, we're all equal. We just aren't all the same. So, you know, even if you look at skin color, you're black, you're white, you're orange. So we've all got red blood. We're all equal. We're just not the same. But we all deserve to have what we need in order to get where we need to go. And that's the way I looked at it. And I had, you know, my the, a couple of the siblings, my husband at the time, and other friends had similar ideas. And so we all just put our heads together and said, what can we do? And um, yeah, so we sat down one day and said, okay, who's going to be the project manager? And I raised my hand and I said, I will. I'll research the brain pattern learning style side of things. And she raised her hand and said, I'll research the emotional intelligence side of things. And she raised her hand and she said, I'll research the curriculum and how can it you know, answer the needs of the government while still maintaining what we want to do with it. And we just started. Um, and so I, as the project manager, had the task of pulling everything together, which included finding a mentor who would help me you know, create a business plan because I needed to have a viable business plan to get funding. So I had someone who graciously said, I'll mentor you. And he was an accountant and had his own accounting firm. And so we would get together and he would show me how to do this and how I could do calculate that. I'm like, oh, okay, great. So I learned all this stuff that I never, never even thought about doing before. Um, And then yeah, so there we go. We found a building. We bought the building. We started the school. Um, I managed to raise uh, a couple hundred thousand pounds and two years of shortfall financing. And there you go. And it ran for 18 years very successfully. That's so impressive. That's so impressive. Amazing. <laughs> so um, you mentioned earlier that once your children were a certain age, you felt like uh, exploring acting again was a more feasible option for you. And one credit that jumped out to me uh, from when your foray back into working uh, as an actor is 2016's High Strung because it was directed by Michael Damien, who is well known to soap fans as YNR's Danny Romilotti. And I also know you were pretty psyched that it co starred Jane Seymour. So tell us uh, about that project. Yeah, so stoked. That was just the highlight of my decade. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I auditioned for it just like any audition. My agent got me the audition. I went in, I auditioned. Okay, that was great. I went in, I read. Um, the next day I got a phone call from, then I then I let go of it, right? It's like you go in, you read, you do an audition. That's it. That's Unless you hear again, it's nothing. Next day I get a phone call from my agent. She's like, so how'd the audition go? I'm like, oh, you know, it's okay, but. I don't know. I don't think I aced it. She's like, really? They do. They offered you the role. I'm like, what? 
<laughs> and I didn't know Michael was directing at this point. I just went in and I auditioned. I didn't do any research. It's like, it was a super simple part. It's like mother, daughter, whatever, easy. Um, so I'm like, oh, this is amazing. Um, and they want you to go next week. I'm like, they want me to fly out in a week. I'm like, oh, okay. I better get, you know, script, script gets sent to me. And I'm like, Michael Damien directing. Michael Damien? And I get a phone call. Hi, Miranda, it's Michael. I'm like, Michael, like Michael Damien, like, why are Michael Damien's like, yeah, how's it going? <laughs> oh my God, you're kidding. Amazing. And his wife, Janine, actually had been on Capitol. She had done, um, I think she did a small reoccurring role for a while. And um, so it was just amazing. And then I found out Jane Seymour was in it. And literally my first day in Budapest, where we were filming in the hotel, I came down to breakfast and there was Jane Seymour sitting there. And I'm like, okay, we're in a film together. It's okay if I go up and talk to her. It's okay if I go up and talk to her. I'm going to go up and talk to her. Okay. And I go up and I said, hi. I'm Miranda. I'm playing so-and-so. Um, nice to meet you. She goes, hi, hi, lovely to meet you. This is me. This is me. She introduced me to who she was sitting with. And I said, I got to get this part out of the way because this is like girl crush. <laughs> I just love you. And I used to watch everything. Like the first thing I saw you in was Captains and the Kings on television. She's like, wow, that was a long time ago. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and I've followed your career ever since. I just think you're amazing. She's like, Okay, great. <laughs> That's awesome. So many milestones, you know what I mean? So many like bucket lists. Yeah. Um, well, in 2015, you wound up back in the Salem universe at the Days' 50th anniversary party, but it would take another six years, I would say, before they actually came calling. So it was extremely, it was an extremely exciting development for longtime days viewers when Megan first popped up alive last summer on Beyond Salem Chapter Two. So tell us the backstory of how Days approached you and what your reaction was. Um, so after 2015, there was a lot of um rumble in the fan world about Megan. Are you coming back? Do you want to come back? Can I do an interview about coming back? And so I kind of got into it. I thought, okay, there's this interest. That's amazing. It might happen. And I set up this Facebook page about bring Megan back, whatever. And then nothing happened. And so I kind of went, okay, never mind. It's not going to happen. It was a fan thing. It wasn't a production thing. No big deal. And I forgot about it. Literally, didn't do anything with the fan page, with the Facebook page. Someone else had said, I'll run it. I'll run it for him. I'm like, okay, fine. You know, whatevs. <laughs> Every now and then I post, I'm doing something. But um, so I'd forgotten about it completely. Let it all go. I'm over here. I'm living in England. I just done Halo. And that was beautiful. And I thought, okay, you know, things are starting to pick up here in England. Let's see where this goes. And I got a job working full-time at an accounting firm doing bookkeeping because, you know, you got to work. One day my agent calls and says, hey, we've just been approached by Days of Our Lives and they want to know if you want to come back. And I'm like, huge letters. Heck yeah. <laughs> I so want to come back. <laughs> Bring Megan back. Raise her from the dead. And so, yeah, negotiations started and conversations. And then a month later, I was in L.A. filming. So, yeah, it was it was a dream come true, really. 
I, I couldn't believe it. I, I'd totally forgotten about it. So it was a complete surprise, but very welcome. Yeah. That's so, so awesome. So um, what were your reunions like? You know, obviously there were some new people in the mix, but there were some people from your original days stint that you got to work with again. So I guess just what stands out to you about that component of things and playing Megan again on, on that uh, that taste, if you will, of, of Megan 2.0. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Megan 2.0. I like Megan 2.0 better than I liked Megan uh, 1.0. <laughs> uh, just in that uh, I, as the actress, was far more settled, just far more solid and just like, I'm here, I'm bad, and I'm so good at being bad. And it was just the best feeling on the planet because I came back to be the best worst I could be. <laughs> and it was amazing. Um, Beyond Salem was was from the moment go through to the end, an absolute joy. Every single breath. I loved being back. I loved being Megan. I loved being Wicked. I loved what they wrote. They wrote her back in such a delicious way because she finally succeeded at something. <laughs> And, and what she succeeded at was bringing Bo back to life. So she succeeded at something really wonderful for everybody, you know, not just for herself. The fact that she did it for herself beside the point, you know, everybody benefited. Um, so I loved that. And Eileen Davidson was, <laughs> I loved working with her. I laughed. Sometimes I laughed on camera. Sometimes we had to do it again because she was so hilarious. <laughs> the first time I saw her in the Thomas makeup, I just, I had no idea. I had no idea that was her. Um, so brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And she was hilarious and really milked it. Um, we laughed a lot. And she was just, she was also great offset, you know, just a real welcoming, warm, great to have you here. Wonderful to work with you. Love your work. It was, it was a beautiful relationship. Christian as well. The first time that I saw Christian was in the hall and we all had to have masks on because that was what was going on. So it was difficult for me, having not seen people in nearly 40 years, to necessarily know who was behind that mask. It was not obvious. Um, but being the new face, I was a little bit obvious when I showed up. And Christian came up to me and said, hey, hi, how's it going? And like put her arms out for a hug. And I went, hi. And I hugged her and I'm like, ah, she's Christian. I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. She says, no, it's okay, it's okay. Um, and she was really, really warm and welcoming. And seeing Peter again for the first time in 40 years <laughs> was was equally delicious. We, you know, we just sat there and chatted for 30 minutes. How are you? What are you up to? Where are you at? Great to see you. Amazing to be back. You know, glad you could make it, et cetera, et cetera. And he too has had his journey and been off in Alaska and et cetera, et cetera. And so, yeah, that was a really warm, embracing welcome as well. Deidre, also very welcoming. Um, Suzanne Rogers, um, James Reynolds. And then the people I hadn't really worked with back in the day, but I worked with on Beyond Salem, Stephen Nichols. Um, Drake Hoiston, uh, Mary Beth Evans. I I didn't work with any of them, even though they were kind of around at a similar time. But yeah, but it was it was great working with them and sort of just discovering them and their characters and who they are and and what amazing lives they've had. You know, the sort of 
yeah, the longevity, the background on this show, they are what makes the show. So it was a real honor that Megan was put into that crowd of actors, that caliber of actors as the comeback. Right. Was- but Ron Carlovati had another trick up his sleeve and the head writer wrote you into the main show or the mothership as they would refer to it. Um, so what did that mean to you to come back to Salem proper? That meant that I done good. <laughs> it was literally, yeah, it was literally the sort of stamp of approval, the confirmation that everybody enjoyed it as much as I did. And there was a possibility that Megan could have a return. Um, and like Stefano, maybe come back again and again and again. Who knows what the future brings? But yeah, that that was amazing. And I I was over the moon. I loved being back on the show. I've really, really enjoyed it. And, you know, Albert Allerar has been super supportive and really great about coming up to me and going, okay, okay, you get it. That's amazing. I love that. You know, pull it this way a little bit. Try to angle it this way a little bit. Or actually, we want more of that. I know you're playing it nice and subtle, but let's let's pump it up. Let's let's get it really big. I'm like, okay, no problem. I can do that. <laughs> so it's been wonderful to have his voice, in addition to the directors who are obviously directing the show. It, it was nice to have his voice there as the kind of overarching guiding light so that I was able to really give them exactly what they were looking for because I'm very responsive to direction. And and I love it. Um, so yeah, I felt like the whole run really worked, really worked nicely and delivered. It did. And and obviously just added so many more layers to the character with the introduction of Dimitri and just the bonds that she formed with her Demara siblings. Like I feel like there's so much opportunity still for Megan. Yeah, yeah. And you know, as much grief as the fans give Megan for having kidnapped EJ and Kristen, it's like she didn't kill them, folks. Like, kidnapping them. Like, they haven't done it. Come on now. What? It's like everybody, it's hilarious on, on, on social media. She's the worst Amira. You know, she's the most evil. It's like, really? Like, she literally hasn't killed anyone yet. They have I, a script between EJ and Kristen that she is the worst Amira of all. I know, right? So established Megan is like, really, Stefano Jr. I know. Take that mantle. Apparently, it's Megan. I mean, it's fine with me. I'll take that mantle. That's not a problem. But I just find it amusing that all of the things, like everything, <laughs> everything that Gwen, you know, lists as her evil deeds. I'm like, yeah, no, Megan hasn't done anything that bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's all relative. Exactly. In the Demera family. I guess so. Absolutely. Yeah. So your final scenes for now as Megan aired yesterday, tell us what you will look back on most fondly about the time that you got to spend back on the show. Um, Golly, there's quite a lot that I enjoyed. Um, Tell you what stands out. I loved working with Colton Little. That was delicious. And I loved working with Brandon Beamer. He was, that, that was beautiful. And both, both the scene in the police station where Megan was flirting with him, which I loved. And, yeah, exactly, right? That was hilarious. It's like, oh, yummy. Little bow. <laughs> <laughs> gimme, gimme. And the scene in the house when she had a gun at it. I, that, that was great fun. I loved it. Um, 
equally, um, Peter, Peter Porte is just delicious. I love all of his stuff. I love watching his work. I love working with him. He's, he's just, he's like this pure, clean breath of fresh air. Um, and surprising, you know, every now and then he'll come up with something. I'll be like, whoa, that's cool. Where'd that come from? Um, loved working with him. And I love the fact that Megan got to have a son and got to have someone that she really cares about. And yeah, okay, social media is talking about how, well, she's making him marry someone he doesn't love and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, well, that doesn't mean she doesn't care about him. Right. Like, that's what she did. She doesn't realize that's a bad thing. And yeah, they're going to get all this money. So who who doesn't want all this money? <laughs> She's helping him. Exactly. Um, absolutely adore Stacey Heideck. I love working with her. I think Megan and Kristen are just the most fantastic dynamic duo. I would love to see them get together. And yeah, okay, they don't ever completely trust each other, but actually be on the same team it's it's just so it writes itself. So if they could do that, that would be incredible. Um, and yeah, I you know I mean I I enjoy working with everyone, but I think that those those are the people that I had. I loved meeting Theo. <laughs> he was lovely. I really enjoyed meeting Theo. Yeah, they really crossed you with so many people. Mm, yeah, in this last run. Um, mm. And your return really has been such a triumph and so entertaining. And you have been, oh, the one-liners just fill our classic line section. Yeah. I'll say that. Um, but before we let you go, is there anything you'd like to say directly to the viewers of Days who have been fans of yours for so many years and are going to miss seeing you, hopefully for only a little bit, as Megan? Oh, uh, yes. My fans, our fans, Days of Our Lives fans, you guys are a dream. I just love the fact that you've been watching this for like, 50 years and you're still on the team. It's amazing. Thank you to all those people who watched Megan back in the day, love to hate her then, came back, love to hate her now, and are still loving the fact that, and posting the fact that if you hate Megan, then Miranda Wilson's done a great job because I really appreciate that. Sometimes people are really harsh in their comments and it's great to have other fans stand up and say no it's 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 her work that you have to applaud because otherwise you wouldn't be hating her um yeah so i agree i hope megan comes back soon um just so you guys all get a taste again and yeah thank you well we thank you so much for all your time today we are definitely going to miss seeing you as megan but hope to see you back soon and um Hope to have a reason to talk to you very soon. Absolutely. Stephanie Mara, I so appreciate you giving me the time and space to do this. I really love chatting with you. And I love how enthusiastic you are about soap opera. And you always have been. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Miranda Wilson for being our guest. If you like this podcast, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to pick up a new issue on sale now and come back next week for another podcast. Podcast.